Welcome. Uh, Cape Town, are you able to hear me and see my presentation? Um, assuming that they can, I can see it uh, on the PC here. Uh, sorry for the delays. We have experienced some technical difficulties, but uh, not system and technology related. Uh, more usage. Uh, thank you for everyone for coming. Uh, we have a, quite a nice turnout. Uh, we have some people that are joining us from outside the profession. My name is Rajiv Singh, and I am part of APSA Capital, but I'm also Deputy Chair of the System and Technology Committee. I'll be helping facilitate today's seminar. Cyber risk is one of the key topics in the fourth industrial revolution. The global economy has experienced losses or costs of cyber crimes of up to 600 billion US dollars. That is almost three times the cost of natural disasters. Can you imagine three times the cost of natural disasters? Natural disasters or catastrophes, you can see it, you can touch it, it can affect you physically. Whereas cybercrime, you might not see it coming until it's too late. But you can definitely feel it when it hits your bank balance or when your company experiences loss or gets regulatory fines. Which, which should we be more scared of, cyber risk or natural disasters? You can be the judge of that. In this modern world of, of us being heavily reliant on technology and systems, the risk of cyber, cyber risk is deep. Can you imagine your daily life without your cell phone, without your laptop, going into a bank branch? Who, do, who goes into a bank branch anymore when you, when you can do everything online? In order for us to manage the cyber risk, we need to be aware of it, understand it, mitigate it, and try and prevent it. As part of the System and Technology Committee, earlier this year, we put out a survey just to assess awareness within the actual profession. Thank you to, to those who were part of it, particularly True North Partners. And some of the comments that came out was that it suggested that we needed more cyber risk awareness within the profession. Although most corporates have enterprise risk management framework where cyber risk is a key principle nowadays, but ongoing education and training is needed as in when we implement new technologies and systems within our businesses. Cybersecurity is, we need to manage, proactively manage cybersecurity as it, is in, as it is essential to prevent financial loss and also we need to explore cyber insurance protection within South Africa. Currently there's minimal, few providers of, of, of cyber insurance. On today's agenda, we have two uh, experts from the industry in risk management. We have Dimitri Agnostopoulos, I hope, I hope I've pronounced that correctly, from True North Partners, who has 15 years of risk experience in fi risk finance and strategy, focusing on fintech and insurance tech. And he'll be taking us through some examples and helping facilitate a scenario. Um, which we will need at least five, four or five volunteers from the audience. Uh, we can get, get those as many scenario. Uh, then we have Candace Sutherland from I2, who's, uh, uh, which is a division of Hollard, uh, specializing in cyber risk and underwriting, and will take us through cyber risk principles. I first hand over to Dimitri to take uh, to the to the next section. Can you all hear me? Fantastic. 
Yes, if you can buy enough technology and enough cybersecurity experts for your firm, you can at least have peace of mind of cybersecurity. Thank you. At least one head shaking when I'm talking crap. It's not really the case, is it? Any expert in the field will tell you that if they want to hack you, they will hack you. And it's as simple as that. And actually, experts in the field kind of put companies into uh, two distinct categories. The one is companies that have been hacked. The other one is companies that don't know yet that have been hacked. A bit binary, <coughs> but again, makes the point. I mean, we have, we're having cyber attacks every single day, whether it's hobbyists or criminals on the millions of uh, scam emails that are coming through our, our email boxes, all the way to cybercrime, cyberterrorism, of course, different severities and, and different frequencies. But these emails are coming on a daily basis. They might be pointing out to financial institutions, but that's not only the case. They might be looking for just directly accessing money or any other vulnerable institution because they might be just accessing data inform uh, client information. And depending on what you've given to which companies, your information is there. The garden shop has more or less your, at least, uh, your address, your cell phone, and other information that actually hackers might be looking for. And they don't have the same security as a bank or a financial institution. Now, so financial institutions are also in the center of that. We know of many cases of, uh, of cybersecurity scams that have happened. This is just a very small sample and a random one. Bangladesh Central Bank lost $101 million. Standard Bank in, the, in Japan, $300 million. We know of old mutual and liberty cases, which, which was targeting uh, email information and customer information. HSBC, in two cases, uh, people could not access their online services. So other than the direct losses, we do have also interruption of services that can still be uh, a quite significant amount. All of that is also not touching on the regulatory fines that we start seeing these days. And these are also quite significant. And as we said, this is not just about financial institutions. A number of uh, random examples on the, on the Medi space, when 521 patients were affected because their information were, was visible 3.5 million uh, US dollars. Another fine of 4.3. This is a university, by the way, simply because they lost customer information. From the, from the health again, uh, 3 million. Retail giant, 18.5 million. The Yahoo uh, case, 35 million. And we go on. I mean, you start seeing the, the, diff the amount of customers being affected. Anything from 33,000, 70 million, 62,000. Health insurer with 16 million. These are all regulatory fines. Tesco Bank, 21. Uber, 148, and the stakes start going up. The Marriott Hotels, 124. The interesting thing about this example is that they got 124, and they also have another 265,000 from the Turkish regulator. So the moment your customers are actually across different continents or different jurisdictions, you all of a sudden find yourself under different regulatory umbrellas. So it's not just, oh, we're in South Africa, Poppy Act, or in Europe, GDPR. You need to be aware of all other regulators. <coughs> British Airways with 230 million, 
the biggest one we've seen so far, 575, or at least, because this is still in process. So we have the direct losses, we have regulatory fines. This, again, doesn't show us anything about other implications. In a lot of these examples, people did lose their jobs, and I'm not talking about technology information officers, data officers, all the way up to CEOs, even though in a lot of cases we read in the articles it was not really their, their, uh, their fault or the CEO was very good in, in actually directing the institution. Yet again, other uh, losses that are not also visible, surprise, some of these companies had some immediate dips, deep dives. Uh, customer attrition. In a couple of surveys around cybersecurity, there's more than 80 or 85 percent of customers that said, if it happened to my institution, I will immediately change. So there's a wide range of actually losses that we see and we have seen from examples like that. Let's, let's look at a scenario. Can I have four people, please, as volunteers? Any four? Okay, one. I'm going to start picking myself if I don't see more. Two. Two more. You guys are going to be board members. Three. We want one more board member. One more. Super. So, you guys, you are the members of the board of what is it called? Financial Institution of South Africa. And given all the examples that we've just seen, no pressure, but... In one of your quarterly board meetings, what happens is that your laptop, or one of the laptops you are presenting to the rest of the board, and your laptop freezes, and there's a nice red screen across all the board members that says that message. We are in control of your system. Please pay us five bitcoins to the following bitcoin address, Else, we will release companies' sensitive data, and you have five minutes. To put it in context, right now, what as of today, Bitcoin is around just, just above 8,000 US dollars, right? So they're asking you for 40,000, around 600,000 rand, to just not release that data. I mean, in the context of what we've just seen from regulatory fines, losses, etc., it's not an insignificant amount, but if I put it in, in comparison to that, actually it is. So the question is, what do you do? The clock is ticking, this is a live board meeting, and you need to do something. I just phone IT. <laughs> You're gonna just phone IT? Sure. I'll disconnect all the electricity in the building. Okay, so it's a blackout in the room. Um, I actually have no idea. Pay. <laughs> I Pay? No idea. Um, don't think it will happen with my laptop, but uh, <laughs> you probably have to first contact IT and see what happens. You can't just pay because there's no guarantee that it will actually, it might just be a scam as well. So. Mm -hmm. Other board members? Unplug everything. Just unplug everything. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> We, <coughs> one, one person said would pay. Well, you don't know. I mean, uh, is it a, just a pop-up screen? Is, it, yeah. I mean, is your data really in danger? Do you know? Yeah. I mean, it's a, I suppose it's a gamble. 
and especially after, after giving an introduction of the previous big numbers and fines and losses, uh, typically the, the whole pay comes actually very quickly. Look, 600,000 versus uh, a couple of billion in runs. Let's, let's just pay it. But maybe, maybe it's the board <coughs> member himself. Yeah. Oops, popping it up. Yeah. <laughs> so let, let's come back to, 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 these, to these questions. I mean, right now, cyber risk is actually a principal risk type. It is emerging as a risk type. There's all sorts of stats, and depending on when, when these stats were collected, you'll see them in different uh, places. There might be some volatile numbers in there. For me, an interesting one is how long does it take to actually um, discover that you have been hacked? So one of the numbers out there is 197 days across industries, and the financial industry specifically, 98 days. And I guess one of the questions is, this is a lot of time. Why are we so slow in, in understanding it? Well, most likely because nothing happens once you get actually hacked, because people stay around. So an attack scheme might, might actually take months or even years to unravel. Survey in preparation. The survey means people doing their homework. You're not going to receive a questionnaire because you are about to get hacked, right? But surveying is about getting information depending on what you want to do. So if I want to go and actually try to hack financial institutions in South Africa, which the board members, the first thing I would do, I guess, is go to LinkedIn, find the company. LinkedIn tells me, do you want to see all the people that work there? And I will see all the people, or at least whoever has LinkedIn account. And then I'm going to take their name and surname and punch it into Facebook. And then, then I will see more or less which pictures are the same. And then if some of the profiles are open, I can see what you guys are doing on Sunday. So you're going to Delta Park with kids or friends. I can start coming close to you. And that's, that's what... That's a way to penetrate, other than then sending you also maybe direct emails. There's plenty of ways to do it. Um, some of the guys, you know, it, it's called social engineering and comes with many forms and ways. We know about uh, a lot of examples about the USB found. There were a couple of companies, and there are a couple of companies that actually try to test your security as a company. One of the, um, the examples that they did, they went to the company's side, they left an, around 20 USBs, parking lot here and there, 15 of them were found. All 15 of them were plugged into company laptops. Access granted. Okay. Maybe you are a little bit more uh, conscious when it's your company laptop or when it is within the company and you won't do it. But to my previous example, one can actually go to your location that you do post pictures after finding out who they are. The simplest thing to do is, you know something, 32 gigs, it's a free stick. I'm going to delete it and just use it. Again, oops. Okay, that's one of the ways phishing scams or spear phishing. I only use that uh, the FMB ones because this is what you get also if, if you're banking with FMB and you, you're actually logging online. They give you an example of what bad looks like. And other than pointing you to these examples, you might be suspicious, you might actually know it, but not everybody does. My parents have online banking and they have no idea if I ask them what's wrong with that email, what it is and they actually might click it, even to see whether it's something that they need to follow. Done, the moment you clicked it. There's also actually, and, and I found that uh, myself, from personal experience, there is uh, a lot of um, 
What do you call it? The, there's a reason why a lot of spam emails go, go out, or a lot of uh, even in Messenger. We know them. We're not going to click on them. But what actually happened to me, which was not fun because I immediately got a cold sweat, is I saw a messenger coming up. I said, oh, check my video. Of course, it's one of my contacts, but it's a contact that haven't, we haven't spoken for the past four years. There is no reason on earth why they would send me a video. So as I'm smiling, and I'm sitting on the couch, and I don't have my mouse on me, so I'm just using my trackball to go up and close it. And as I do that, I accidentally, it clicks and it clicked in that little window. And immediately it opened my browser. And this is where I literally got a cold sweat. All now it takes is another mistake click, and I would have had to just close my laptop and throw it away because there's no way I would have gone out from that virus. So basically as it happened, I just Alt F4 switched it off, but I actually clicked it. I could have done it accidentally in one of these links that doesn't need a second link. So there is merit of actually sending thousands of them. Somebody might even accidentally click it. <clears throat> Fishing over voice. If I know you, I can still at some point contact you, and especially if I can get your number from any other shop that you might have given it. Approaches, personal approaches. I mean, th these are real examples, and actually you have companies that do test them as part of their uh, of their efforts to try to see what, where are your vulnerable points in, in, a, in a company. You have all sorts of other uh, terminologies that you probably know of. Diversion, I was talking to one of these, uh, what they call themselves white hackers after a, after a conference, and this is his job, this is what he's doing. And he's literally tried to get into premises and see how far can he get in. And one of his examples that he was sharing with me, I actually managed to go outside the IT room, or the, the main control room of a company. And when the door opened, I actually went in. And not only I went in, because it was the last man standing outside, because the previous guy was going for lunch, he actually asked me to stay for five minutes because he had to go to the loo. And now I'm in a room that I'm locked inside. I can do, I'm a hacker. I can do anything. And he was literally in that room. So, yeah, diversion is not that... Uh, out of the out of the world. Scareware, when your screen does get red, and with whatever message you actually you don't know what to do, and maybe I need to pay, because then the the fear is going to get out of the out of the window. Pretexting, where people pretend to be someone else. Well, I guess all of that is pretexting as well. It comes a lot with quid pro quo, so. Give me $10 to unlock that opportunity. We all know about the, the typical, I'm going to call it Nigeria scam, because it usually comes from, from there. Someone has died, they want to leave their fortune, right? Give, we can share it with you, but help us you know, unlock the legal process. And, and we have seen examples of people actually paying the first five, then it's becoming 10, there's another five, but it's an amount that starts accumulating, and some people do fall for it. And I know we might be laughing now, but the first time I got that email was in 2007, if I'm not mistaken. And the, the first reaction I had for two seconds is that, what is it? And I kept reading. It took around five seconds for actually reality to kick in. Not because I thought it was a scam immediately, which now I know, I don't even open it, because I thought, there is no one in this universe that will offer to give me money for free. It's as simple as that. And only then I closed it. Now, I have an aunt, actually, she still lives in Greece. She keeps sending me, up until 2015, 
emails like that. Oh, just because you, you stay in, in South Africa, it might be relevant to you. On the last one that you sent me in 2015, it was like, I think you should at least check it out because you never know. Because you never know, <laughs> right? I guess it refers to that. <laughs> you never know. <clears throat> so, coming back to the example as, as board members. I think you need to ask the right questions, and it's exactly what you've been asking. First of all, is the board the right body to take an action if that really happens? And, for example, each incident might be different. If it's just your own company's information, it's not client information, sure, but you might need to call, I mean, not you might, you will always call your IT forensics or IT team. There is no question about it. Don't touch it. <laughs> just call your IT guys, right? But what about legal? What about compliance? What about the regulator, if it's about customer information, the FBI, or whoever is the right body, if it is around the terrorist uh, act, right? PR, if it's, again, customer-related, you will have reputational risk coming out. So this is the point where you need to understand what's happening and who's the right person, actually, or the right uh, department to call, and it could be all of them. Were you really hacked? So it is around, again, gathering information. Now, of course, the laptop was hacked, so there's no question about that, but has the company been hacked, or is it just that laptop? Maybe they know you are the board member. That's exactly what they want. They want now to, take, to start taking action. And because that action is going to be based not on what has happened, but because of scareware and fear, maybe it's just you as an individual, so now they're pretending that they have company information, and all they're waiting from that scareware is for you to take the, exactly the next step that will give them maybe the last key to what they need to do. The message could be saying, we have all your company there, you cannot do anything. And the first thing you might think, let's check if the, gap, the backup is okay. And the moment you access the backup, your backup just got hacked as well. Okay, so gather knowledge. And you might not be the right people to do it, so make sure you bring the right people in. If there is a data breach, again, what data has been compromised? To the question earlier, we don't know actually whether it's real or not. They might just be waiting for the next thing to do for us, to gather more information. They might have company data, but then, sure, if it's not your customer's data, you might, it might be our own, our own financial information. It might be a very different case and very different severity. Do we even know what to do with this crypto address? which, by the way, it's an Ethereum one, it was not a Bitcoin one. Okay, so all of it might be a scam as well, but they might be just waiting for you to do one more thing that they haven't gotten before. So very quick reactions might actually unlock what people are trying to do. <coughs> so just a few closing questions. Are our executives or board members aware of what their role is in a similar situation? And actually, the same question is not just for, for them, but their jobs are also on the line. CEOs are on the line and all of that. If you look at any bibliography, they will tell you about the qualities to look when choosing board members. And there's that the typical 10. The reason I have the question marks is 
do we really need to put cybersecurity as qualities of our board members? And we need to start being very critical about these questions. Because depending on what company you're running, when, if, if I'm looking at some of the companies that, that we're advising as well, this might be the 10 that we need, but then the whole board needs to be actually trained on what to do in a situation. Because we might not necessarily need a cybersecurity expert on the board. So let's, <coughs> let's be careful of not adding things and just members, because one of the key principles is make sure you don't have too many members on the board, because then you might creating a bureaucratic layer. So let's just, let's just manage and balance what, what we really need. It is the same thing with, with any sort of operational risk or breach of your risk appetite. Are, are the board members aware of what they need to do? Are they uh, risk exper experts themselves? Or you just know what steps you're following depending on the situation? <clears throat> Our IT department is cyber ready. Do I need to worry? Well, yes. From whichever angle you look at it, me as an employee, do I need to worry? I'm covered. Yes, you do, because probably they can also get in through me. Seniority, board members, do I need to worry? Yes, they can also come in through you. Now, there's all sorts of different examples. Board members, because they are very senior or exco members, they might have extra security on their phones and their laptops. But it could work the other way around. Because they are typically older, they might be less technologically aware. So they might be the vulnerable point. So all of us actually need to worry. Even if by mistake we click it, we don't understand it, it sits in our laptop, then we connect. Okay. And the same question, if our board and EXO is cyber ready, is EXCO is cyber ready do I need to worry as an IT department or as an employee again? Yes, we do. So this is not just about financial institutions, not just in the actuarial profession or any other profession. We are all living in a digital world, in an online world. Some of the interesting uh, example hacks that, that I've seen in conferences, the guy was actually scrolling on his Facebook page, and he just demonstrated how someone can just simply go to the source of the page on the person that, that's, that's, that was a live page. It was one of his friends. And he could just change what he himself could see on his screen. Nobody else. But imagine if you can get on my laptop and you can simply change, as I'm looking at a friend or someone I know, you can simply change, without nobody else in the world can see that, a very offensive message. Based on race, based on gender, anything. The first thing I would do, probably, if I cannot share it, is I will take a capture, share it then. I just literally destroyed someone's life because we know how quickly these things get viral. Anything we touch is digital now, and anything we touch can be hacked and it can have all sorts of repercussions, whether it's in a personal level, for our company, for bank accounts. It's, unfortunately, it's a little bit scary, so we all need to be aware and we all need to be to understand what we're doing with social med media with our devices potentially how to identify whether something has happened it's not just financial the loss that we will incur even as individuals thank you very much thank you uh, dimitri that has been a very insightful presentation I don't know about you in the audience, but I definitely feel scared about cyber risk, cyber attacks, and cyber crime. Uh, 
thank you for facilitating that uh, scenario with the volunteers. Um, I do have some chocolates for the volunteers and a small token of appreciation for you. They can collect it afterwards. I now hand over to Candace, who will take us through some cyber risk insurance principles. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for your time. Um, we are going to be chatting about cyber insurance. So in terms of a definition of what cyber crime is, when I'm presenting to audiences, I say to people, what is cyber crime to you? And they'll say it's credit card fraud. But cyber crime is a huge, huge issue in South Africa because our legislation currently states if you are hacked, regardless of what company you are, you do not have to tell anyone. Companies are being hacked all the time and not publicizing it because why would they deal with the reputational damage of saying, I am Candace's cars and I've been hacked, therefore you can't trust me, please go to my competitor. So it, cyber crime is a huge issue in South Africa. Can everybody please stand up really quick? Okay, remain standing if you are male. Sit down, ladies. Okay, remain standing if you are between 30 and 50 years old. Okay, good. Remain standing if you have been with your employer for longer than five years. Okay, if you take a look around the room, these are the people who are most likely to be a malicious insider, according to the FBI. <laughs> Thanks very much. Okay. So where does South Africa rank? There are two reports which actually survey South African companies. If you search cybercrime, there is so much information on Australia, UK, America, but there are two reports that include South Africa. One is the Ponemon data breach study, and the second one is this report done by Norton Semantic. According to this Norton Semantic report, South Africa is the third worst country in the world for cybercrime attacks. And 84% of South African adults were a victim of cybercrime last year. 84%, crazy amount. Would you know if you had been hacked? Unless funds are actually stolen from your account, would you know if somebody has assumed your identity? Obviously, if somebody's purchased property or opened up accounts on your name, then you would. But who's ever received something in the post saying, congratulations, here is your RCS loan or your Woolworths account with 10,000 Rand? You assume it's rubbish, you throw it in the bin. But it could genuinely be somebody has committed identity theft against you, applied for a loan in your name, they send that to your office or to your home address, and you throw it in the bin. So they have full access to that account because you're not even going to check it. Same with Sandra statements, right? So how would you know if you have been a victim of a privacy breach? This is a fantastic website, and I want to do a little demo really, really quick. And this part itself can take an hour. So, grab your cell phones, go to that address. No, it is not a spelling mistake. No, there's no www. You don't have to. I'm not forcing anyone. It's a public site which lists data breaches all around the world, and you can search your address. Dimitri, you can leave now. Okay. Once you've gone to that address, this is the screen that you will see. In this white address bar, please type in your personal email address, not your work email. So it's your Gmail, your Yahoo, your Hotmail account. This, all this does is that it runs a search for that particular email address to see if it has ever been exposed in a data breach. So if I search mine, and every time I do this, I have more and more hacks. Okay. 
Okay, push the little dark blue button next to you. The little dark blue button next to the name saying pwned, and then it will either bring up a red screen or a green screen. Red screen, hands up. Okay, few. Green screen? Okay, if you have a green screen, please try your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your side chick, your child, try their email account and check, check them. Only once we are informed can we make informed decisions. So breaches that my details have been exposed in. I have data and leads, Dropbox, Exactus, Exploit Iron, iMesh, LinkedIn, MyFitnessPal, Online Spambot, River City Media, Verifications IO, and Zomato, which means that all of these companies have been hacked and they stored my details. So if I look at my first one, let's look at Dropbox because everybody knows about that. In mid-2012, Dropbox suffered a data breach which exposed the stored credentials of tens of millions of customers. The bold line says what compromised data of mine was on that site. So my compromised data is my email address and my password. So in seven years, Dropbox has had seven years to notify me that my details have been exposed and they still haven't. So how can I make informed decisions if the companies who are hacked that expose our information don't have the courtesy to tell us? And again, I remind you, in South Africa, our legislation states, if you are hacked, you do not have to tell anyone. Not your shareholders, not your customers, not your employees. So why would you? Okay. In order for me to secure this account now, all I have to do is change my password. My compromised information was my email address and my password. I can create an entire new email account, but that's far more inconvenient than just changing the password to that account so no one can access it. If I look at Exactus, it says Exactus publicly leaked 340 million records in June 2018. Compromised data. Credit status information, date of birth, education level, email address, ethnicity, family structure, financial investment, gender, home ownership status, income level, IP address, marital status, name, net worth, occupation, personal interest, phone number, physical address, religion, and spoken language. My phone screensaver kicked in before I even finished reading that. So how do I now secure myself when all that information has been exposed? The truth is that I don't. There's absolutely nothing I can do. And considering that it's been just over a year since this data breach happened, and there were 340 million records exposed, I know they just haven't got to my name yet. My surname starts with S. I'm far down the line. But because I'm informed, I can make informed decisions. I can start checking my bank account. I can open up posts that comes to my house. If I get a letter saying that somebody has opened up a Truers account, I will call Truers, not by the number listed in that letter, or by the email sent to me, I will call genuine truers and say, has somebody opened an account in my name? I didn't authorize it, close it. I can register for credit and identity theft monitoring, so every transaction going through my account will have to be authorized by me. And that is the only way that I can truly protect myself because I cannot change my entire identity. Email address, yes. ID number and all of that, I can't. So how long will I be a victim for? For as long as that data dump is available and for sale which will be forever. So the probability of a data breach, the odds are much greater in South Africa that you will experience a data breach compared to the rest of the world. One in four, and the global average is 28%, and we are at 41. Why? Because we have no legislation to protect us. So if you catch a cyber criminal, what do you prosecute them under? Anyone know? 
nothing. Okay? Held to ransom, the average time to identify a data breach, 150 days. Average time to contain that breach, 40 days. So once we are made aware, and this is touching on Dimitri's point, once we are made aware of a breach, why does it take us 40 days to recover? One of the questions we ask when um, understanding a risk is, do you have a disaster recovery plan or a business continuity plan? It is a condition of cover to qualify for cyber insurance, and loads of companies say no. Why would you not have that? Okay, you, let's say you do. Is that DRP or BCP, is it saved in paper format or is it only on your computer? Because remember, when your computer and your whole server and your backups hold to ransom, how will you access that DRP? Okay? So the per capita cost per sector, this is just to illustrate how depending on the industry that you work in will dictate how valuable your information is. So in financial services, what it will cost you per person affected by a cyber breach in 2018 is 3,009 rand per person. Industrial manufacturing, 2,220. Tech, 24. Retail, 16. Public sector, 1095. Transportation, 18. Communications, 18. Energy, 24. Pharmaceuticals, 25. Hospitality, 17. Healthcare, Almost 6,000 rand per person affected. How many, how many clients does Discovery have? Millions. Okay. Media, 2,000. Education, 2,500. Entertainment, 2,000. Research, 1,300. That is what it's going to cost you as a company to respond to every single person affected. Bear in mind, it is far easier to sell one rand from 10,000 people than 10,000 rand from one person. So when hacking a company, you have to ascertain how many people have truly been affected. But what you can't do is wait to find that out. So you have to assume that every single record you have ever stored, depending on your data destruction policy, so let's say you're an SME, you've been in business since 1996, you're an estate agent, so you have really sensitive information, but you have no data destruction policy which means that every single person you ever dealt with, whether it is an employee or a client, somebody tried to rent a property to or sell a property to, you would have all of that information and you would be liable for every single expense associated or cost that that person suffers because your computer was stolen from your boot. Kind of typical situation in South Africa, happens all the time. Who gets work emails to their cell phones? Most of us, right? Okay. So the trigger of a cyber insurance policy, one, a privacy breach. A privacy breach is a breach of confidentiality or right to privacy of any employee or any client belonging to the company. A network breach is a very blank, there's a whole lot of words on the screen, you must be hacked, okay? If I send you an email saying you have won 5.4 million pounds in the UK lotto, have I hacked you or did you fall for a scam? No one's a scam. Scam, yes, well done. So, you have to be hacked in order for a policy to pay out. Insuring fraud is an uninsurable loss. It is illegal to cover fraudulent activity. So we cannot provide a, a policy where you can insure, insure fraud. So you must be hacked or suffer a privacy breach in order for your cyber insurance policy to trigger. What does the policy cover? First party and third party. So every first party is your employees. Third party is any customer, supplier, contractor, any person that is not employed by you. All of every single person will be covered. Therefore, we need to understand how large your exposure is. 
The liability is the defense and settlement of any liability claim arising from a network breach or a privacy breach, because those are the triggers of the policy. That's your cyber liability. According to Poppy, because Poppy is strict liability, meaning no negligence is required, you are able to purchase insurance to cover that fine. It is the only fine that you can insure. What Poppy says is that if you get your work emails to your phone and your cell phone is stolen, you are liable for a 10 million rand fine. If you do not have 10 million rand, you are going to jail for 10 years. Not your company, you, because you are the custodian of that device. Okay? Fines and penalties can be covered by the policy. Is it important to increase your cyber premium, your cyber limit by 10 million rand to cover that Poppy fine today? No, because the 12-month grace period hasn't started, never mind elapsed. And only when that period elapses will you face a puppy fine. Your crisis management expenses, because you go into a crisis situation, so that would be setting up a call center to deal with all of your customers that are calling in. It would have um, credit monitoring, identity theft monitoring, a PR person, which will write a script for the call center people to, so they know the correct thing to say, as well as spokesperson training. Notification expenses, you would have to notify every person, according to Poppy, via registered mail. So if you are a medical company and it's going to cost you 6,000 rand per person affected by that breach, part of that cost is the notifying them. So imagine having to notify every single person you've ever dealt with via registered mail. Your data recovery is the cost to restore, recollect, or replace any data that has been lost due to a network breach. Business interruption, because regardless of what company you are, you don't have to be take a lot and the site is down to suffer business interruption loss. All insurance policies where there's a business interruption element, it requires physical damage. But if I've hacked your computer, there's no physical damage at all. So a cyber policy has a very special kind of business interruption. Let's take Old Mutual, for example. Old Mutual has suffers a breach. Touchwood, okay? Suffers a breach and can't do any work for three days. But a mutual still has to pay rent for this building, pay all their staff salaries, pay all of their expenses. But they cannot generate any income. Or it will cause a loss of business income because they cannot trade for three days. So the cyber policy will calculate that loss of business income and then refund that to you. Obviously, depending on the limit that you purchase, if you have a million rand cyber insurance policy and you suffer five million rand loss, then you don't have enough cover, but we'll talk about calculating that in a sec. Extortion, the policy will cover a ransom demand. So if you are being held to ransom and it is a genuine event, so obviously we have to determine the validity of that attack, it would be very silly for us and for you to pay an extortion demand when it's just a scam. We determine the validity of that. We, there would be two situations. One, somebody has specifically engineered this code to bring you down for whatever reason, a personal vendetta, or it's something that they've just bought on the dark web or on the internet. So if it's situation number two, you can buy the code to encrypt a company for between two and five US dollars. You can buy a code to decrypt that company for between 15 and 20 US dollars. Or you have to pay the ransom, which can be hundreds of thousands of rands four, five, six Bitcoin. So the better decision is to pay that ransom, get you back up online as quickly as possible. But how did that person get in? How do you stop them ever doing it again? That is the most important part, and that's where your triage comes into to play, but we'll chat about that. Digital media would be for anything that happens on social media. Let's say, hypothetically, we are having a Cheryl Society after party. We are all drinking 
not Valpre water, let's say Castle Lager, and somebody gets a little out of hand and we post these pictures on Facebook. And then Castle says, we do not want to be associated with those pictures, so we are going to sue you for defamation. That would be picked up by a cyber policy as well. But it must be on social media. Regardless of which form of social media, it must be on social media. Reputation management, that is to have a spokesperson train spokesperson training by a proper professional PR company. Did anybody ever watch the article from Dido Harding, who was the CEO of TalkTalk? So she is the CEO of TalkTalk. They suffered a data breach. She was put onto the news and she said, no, don't worry, everything's fine. Nothing's really happening. Like, everybody calm down. And then about an hour later, she went back on the news and said, everybody panic. Everybody's been affected. And she was fired. She was fired because of of being put on the news (laughs) and bringing the company into disrepute. But what other choice did she have? So in our experience, 10 out of 10 times, a cyber event will trigger a DNO policy. DNO policy, directors and officers, and officers defined as any person in a managerial or supervisory capacity. If you are a manager, supervisor, or director of a company, according to the Companies Act 2008, you declare that you will act with due care, skill, and diligence in the best interest of that company. If you don't, you can be held liable, and being held liable means that your personal assets are attached. So, because a cyber event has happened, who is the the manager of the IT department? Even if you completely outsource that, who is the person that is in charge of managing that relationship? Because you're the one going down. Because we have to tell the rest of our shareholders why we now have this huge incident and we've had to pay huge amounts, whether it is in remediation or extortion demands, regardless of what it is. So 10 out of 10 times, a cyber event will trigger a director's and officer's claim. Your loss of business income, same as business interruption, depending on what kind of business you do, and then incident response. So we've had an incident. What do we do? Yes, unplug. Yes, switch off everything. Yes, call IT. But we call our IT team and they don't know what to do. We call Dial a Nerd because they helped us set up the network. They don't have any idea how to respond. And I love Dial a Nerd, okay? Let's not. I'm not trying to be funny. Um, We call somebody, whoever our our IT service provider is, and they have no idea how to respond with this ransomware situation. What do you do? So the policy comes with a full incident response team which consists of attorneys who have dealt with cyber events. Because, over here, number two, cyber liability, defense and settlement of any liability claims arising out of a network breach or a privacy breach, means that you have to have an attorney that has dealt with those things. Forensics will tell you how did this happen, because only when you know how somebody broke into your system can you stop them ever doing it again. Incident containment and triage, these are the people that will stop the event happening any further. They start removing the malware. They start doing the data restoration. So the forensic who tells you how it happened versus the incident containment that stops it happening, I've not come across a company that does both. So they're both very, very expensive people charged by the hour. And depending on um, how how bad the situation is, that is the thing that could cost you quite a lot of money. And if you don't have a cyber insurance policy, this is coming out of your bottom line. According to what we've heard in the market in in terms of the Liberty hack, their share price fell by 5%, which was more than a billion rand in the first week of their hack. They have said that not one person for the next three years will receive a bonus or an increase because they've had to cover the costs of this cyber event, which, according to reports, they should have known about. There was more than enough evidence to show that something was happening, 
but nobody did anything about it until it was full-scale attack. Why? Because a hacker sits on your system for 150 days before they actually launch their attack. Public relations, that is the person that will write the script for your call center, as well as give the spokesperson training on what to say and what not to say. And then credit and identity theft monitoring for every first-party employee, third-party client customer belonging to the insured. Because only when you have that can you truly know if somebody is trying to steal your funds or pretend to be you. The incident response process, once the insured becomes aware of a situation, they call our 24-hour hotline, we deploy the incident response team. First, we have to do detection and initial assessment. Is this a genuine threat or is it just a spam email that has come through? We start the investigation, we do the containment, eradication and recovery, and then post-incident activities, give you advice on how to stop this happening again, what has happened, what has been remediated. So how do you price a cyber insurance policy? Number one, there has to be an industry rating. As we saw with the per capita cost, certain industries, when they are hacked, are far more expensive than other industries. So there has to be an industry rating. We take the revenue into consideration because of the business interruption element. If I have a company that is making a million rand revenue versus a company that's making a hundred million rand revenue, and each of those companies are down for three days, it's a very different cost. So obviously we have to take the revenue into consideration. Number of records stored, because we respond to every first party, every third party belonging to the insured, if you have 10 employees and 100 customers versus someone that has 5,000 employees and 2.5 million customers, you're a very different risk. And we are responding to every person affected by that breach, so those are very important factors. And then your risk posture. So we have 12 minimum requirements, and if the insurer does not comply with those minimum requirements, we will not offer them cover. Very basic things. Do you have a firewall? Do you have antivirus? What is your password policy? It should be a minimum of this, blah, blah, blah. Do you use encryption? Every question on the proposal form, depending on how it is answered, will either increase or decrease your premium. We offer discounts um, for people, for companies that use encryption because we, it shows us that you are serious about actually securing your data. Do you have a DRP or a BCP, Disaster Recovery Plan, Business Continuity Plan? And do you store data in the cloud? We are seeing more and more often companies storing data in the cloud, therefore saying that, oh, well, then it's the cloud's problem. You are still the custodian of that data. Therefore, you will be held liable, even if you're storing it at AWS and you don't know where that server farm is and where your particular data is stored, you will still be held liable for the losses suffered by your customers, even if you store that data in the cloud. So no more, I store data in the cloud, therefore everything's fine. These are my contact details. I post constantly about South African-related incidents on Twitter, so you are welcome to follow me, my email address and my cell phone. Thank you so much for your time, and I appreciate any questions at the end. Thank you, Candice. Uh, that has been uh, very insightful as well. Lots for us to consider uh, when it comes to cyber risk insurance. Uh, actuaries are known for their use of statistical modeling, coming up with new insurance products. But I don't think there's a lot of us involved in the space uh, at the moment. But I think this is a space that we can go uh, be more involved in. Um, and definitely we can add, add, add value to this, um, to this sector. But we will need to merge our skills 
with the greater in-depth and workings of how systems and technology uh, operate and, and those practices related to it. Uh, from the cyber risk survey, less, a very small percentage, less than 3% are actually involved in the technology uh, and system space and even smaller percentage are cyber risk experts. Um, I have something for you later, Candice, thank you very much. There's a nice meme that I, I came across. Uh, cyber risk security or cyber security budget before a breach, you can see the guys counting pennies and after a breach, the dollars are just flowing in. I like prevention better than cure. Um, also, I like to manage risk than letting it happen, but you can't mitigate all the risks. So there will need to be some sort of insurance for that residual risk that's left. The cost of cyber insurance, uh, cyber crime is high. I urge all of you to think about the principles discussed here today and see how you can apply it uh, in your uh, companies. To conclude, uh, just to give you more about what the cyber, uh, what the system and technology committee does, we empower the profession on system and technology related matters. We create awareness on operational risk associated with systems. Uh, we provide assistance to members who work within this area. And we also help protect the profession's info, uh, reputation by creating and producing standards and best practice guidelines for system and technology related matters. Uh, we are going to be sending out um, some material, hopefully in early 2020, around system testing and data migration as a start, but we will be looking for additional volunteers to help us build some material around cyber risk. Uh, we also provide guidance on the actuary's responsibility, and I think it speaks well to about what's the role of the board member and what do they need to be, uh, be, be aware about. And uh, we also complete, uh, we ensure complete relevant and appropriate data is used in systems and technology. We have a wide representation across, across the industry, Solfco, APSA, Deloitte, NMG, Guardrisk, Business Actuary, Standard Bank, Hollard, Alexander Forbes and Silverbridge. So how can you get involved? So something that also from the cyber survey was, we need to get more people involved in, in, um, in building out this material. Uh, you can send your thoughts and suggestions to the context below. So to Mia Kheringa, uh, who's the Managing Director of Solco and also the Chair of the Committee, or to myself, Rajiv, um, uh, and we will take your uh, suggestions and see how we can work together. Uh, we are looking for volunteers to build out our principles, uh, our guiding principles. Um, once the principles are sent out, I urge you to comment on those. Participate in surveys that do go out. Uh, thank you to those who have participated in the ones um, in, in, in the survey that went out earlier this year. We are going to do one in 2020 to, to just assess how the awareness has tracked over a year. Um, and partner with us in future seminars. Uh, take note of the disclaimer. And if there's any questions, um, I know we're out of time. Uh, we're running over time, actually. Uh, but you can actually ask us the questions next door where there's a networking uh, session, uh, some food and snacks. And just take note of the register. If you haven't signed the register, you can sign on your way out. And if you've got a parking ticket, just get it uh, validated uh, by the reception.
Thank you, everyone.